Hello, my name is John Jacob. You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. This episode, the 20th, features the Calador String Quartet. It was a conversation that was recorded on Saturday the 14th of July 2018 at St George's Hotel in central London, the day after protests were staged in response to President Trump's visit to the UK. I haven't listened back to this conversation until today, the day of publication, the 1st of October 2018, and when I listen to it back, what I hear appears to begin quite awkwardly. But it didn't turn out that way, somewhere around the point when one of the quartet talked about approaching a performance of a work as though it was the last time they ever played it, the energy in the conversation shifted. That's the kind of conversation I really adore, the kind that changes quite unexpectedly. There is something real for me about this. Calador's new album, On Signum, is out later in October, knowing why they recorded it in the first place, as you'll discover close to the end of this conversation, makes the prospect of listening to it very special indeed. Uh, and where are you? Kids. Where are you both staying? I don't need a full address, Notting but just Hill. nothing. Oh, so why is it that? It's <laughs> an interesting question. You're in Whitechapel <laughs> and you're in Notting Hill. What's going on there? Because you're like on the. There's opposite. a status difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed, some kind of issue. <laughs> uh, but really, why are you staying in Notting uh, Hill? We're with staying with friends. Oh, okay, um, right. Yeah, who live in that area? Well, that seems like a legit. We have no friends. Okay. Okay. Could we put it on the record that we have no friends? <laughs> We've got that. It's okay. Uh, so why don't we start with introductions so that we know who you are. Who are you, please, and what do you play? Hi there. My name is Estelle Choi, and I play the cello. Uh, with who? I play in the string quartet called the Calador Quartet. Uh, where does Calador come from? Uh, the name? Yes. Uh, the name comes from uh, a sort of amalgamation of two things. Uh, we were formed in Southern California... Um, in Los Angeles, so we take Cali uh, from California and combine that with Doré, which means golden in French, uh, so sort of the golden state. Um, yeah, so that's... I have to tell you, I have to I have to confess that um, when I saw the name, I thought that it was like a random Latin name that had a really deep meaning. <laughs> but as soon as you said, actually, no, it's just taken from California, um, yeah, that's reassuring. I well, find it that. actually comes from a Keats poem. <laughs> no! Oh, no, I've really shown myself up. Oh, no! And you're laughing at me. Um, <laughs> no. But someone was telling us that uh, in Greek, actually, it means beautiful gift. Calador, yeah. Well, I don't know any Greek. Um, <laughs> Hopefully so no one I'm does. Okay, but I'm fine not knowing any Greek. But really, it was named after California. and Or did you just make that bit up? It's, it started with the Keats poem. Um, but then we've kind of spinned it into this other story. <laughs> you, yes. you misled me then. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I see where your sense of humor lies. Let's move on to the next person, yeah? <laughs> no, I want to keep talking. You blew it. <laughs> yeah. So not talking to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sir. Uh, my name is Ryan Meehan. I am a violinist in said quartet, <laughs> the Calidor String Quartet. And I play the second violin. And... When did you all meet? We met in school. We all went to the Colburn School in Los Angeles, which is... I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a very small music conservatory of about 120 students. And it was founded 
I would say the conservatory was founded maybe 16 years ago, something in that vicinity. And um, what's unique about it is that it's just one orchestra's worth of musicians plus a piano studio. And everyone goes entirely for free. There's no, everyone who's accepted, there's no tuition, room, board, any of that. So it's like European University. <laughs> um, and... Um, so this we, is after after high school when after high school. So for undergrad, well, uh, for a graduate, three of us went there for undergraduate, um, for a bachelor's degree, and uh, Jeremy went there after he did his undergrad at Juilliard. I'll let them talk about that. But you get it for free. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all of it. For Everything. Free. Yeah, and they even uh, in the early days of the quartet paid for our travel to concerts and help subsidize the cost of uh, phot photographs and um, different publicity materials. And it was pretty incredible. They wow. basically helped us launch our career yeah. as well. So wow. because they're a young school, they really make a mission to uh, invest in career development for their students. And they even have an in-house management agency. Um, and uh, they continue to be very supportive of our quartet to this day. So we owe the school a lot and that's where we all met and that's where we formed in our fourth or fifth years at the school which one of you wants to go first i can take it is it the jeremy it's is it the jeremy, the jeremy. yeah yeah no, <laughs> my, my name's jeremy berry and i play the viola in the calador quartet and do you remember the first time that you all met tell me tell me about the day <sighs> the, when you first met the, the day that we met you know it's been so long at this point i'm not even sure that's a nice uh, but but we we uh, we <laughs> we knew each other at the Colburn School for a couple of years before we started playing together. Um, as Ryan mentioned, the school is extremely small, so everybody at the school knows each other quite well, for better and for worse in some cases. Um, uh, yeah, so we let's see, we probably knew each other there for about two years before the quartet kind of started forming piece by piece. It was first Jeff and Estelle playing in a quartet together, essentially at. Uh, for a class credit and because they love playing in quartets uh, and then I joined soon after and then Ryan joined soon after that and things took off um, and sir I need a name and what do you play <laughs> <laughs> have what you not really have you not worked out <laughs> how this is working I have this written in my hand Okay, uh, <laughs> my name is Jeff Myers and I play the first violin in the Calador String Quartet do you remember the first day you met uh, yes, I guess I'll tag along and give a little bit more detail to what Jeremy said. Uh, it actually goes back to when I was in high school, and Ryan and I first met actually in uh, string quartet competitions in high school. And the first one was the St. Paul String Quartet competition, and this is, I guess I was a senior in high school and he was a junior in high school, and his quartet one and in doing competitions you, you do say, not you talk to it. your competitors and you say it in a way yes. like you're what you're really saying yeah. is i can't believe he won yeah. i just no no <laughs> his quartet was very good it wasn't because of me it's because the other three that i played with <laughs> and then we ended up doing another competition the fish off competition and where uh, both of our quartets did not advance to the finals and that's where we became friends and we Stayed up late, nerding out on violin eating fig stuff newtons. and eating, eating Fig Newtons. And then we attended... Fig Newtons? Fig Newtons. You know what, what are they? Are they? Um, what are they're they? made of kind of like this uh, a filling with yeah, like made by figs. Yeah. And then have... It's like a little pastry like in a, a box. cookie. Yeah. yeah. It's a fig cookie for all yeah. intents and purposes. I wonder whether we call them fig rolls. 
Maybe. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Probably. You sound like you really know about I this. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the thing that I'm really interested in, and someone just needs to uh, needs to start with the conversation, really. But uh, how do you decide that you all want to play in a quartet? Well, I don't. I don't understand how that works. Really. Yeah, I don't either. But uh, <laughs> okay. Ryan, Ryan and I, we were at a. We ended up attending the Aspen Music Festival in school. Uh, maybe the next summer after we met, and we there. There are many concerts that happen at Aspen. It's kind of like the Verbier Festival of America, uh, and concerts every day. And we ended up seeing many quartet concerts there. And actually, after the Takash String Quartet played there one summer and they played I remember they played Brahms Piano Quintet with uh, Anton Nell and we after the concert we were blown away and we are like wow wouldn't it be really cool to play in a professional string quartet and then a couple years later we were kind of striving towards that goal you make it. You make it sound. The story that you tell makes it makes it sound really straightforward and easy. And my, my assumption <laughs> just is just add water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. My assumption is is that somebody has to make a decision, and and that there, there's a there's a conversation that is had at some point when when everybody goes, yeah, okay, I quite like you. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll play together. Or or is it just something you just all fall into? We took our blood oaths, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I joined the quartet, I am the most recent member of the quartet in that I joined a few months into the inception of the quartet. <laughs> Before which it was a trio. Is that yeah. all it? <laughs> and so um, at that point the quartet had won the Fish Off competition, which is one of the largest chamber music competitions in the United States. And <clears throat> that was impetus for the three of them to uh, say like we want to take this very seriously and we need a fourth member who's also going to take this very seriously so when I joined we decided that this was going to be our top priority that any solo engagements or playing chamber music with other people what or taking orchestra auditions like that was not going to be um, well not going to be on the table um, in terms of if it conflicted with well obviously taking orchestra auditions is not on the table but uh, doing solo engagements or playing chamber music with other people w- could be done only if it didn't conflict with the quartet because that had to be the top priority and that means like all your everyday rehearsals and the concerts that you play and the teaching duties that you have and so ultimately you're just doing quartet really and since we were all on the same page about that I mean I think we it took a lot of a lot of hard work in the beginning I mean it takes a lot of hard work even now but uh, we had to enter a lot of competitions. We did seven competitions in two years. And that was kind of our launching pad for acquiring our repertoire and for seeing how we do under pressure. And um, getting the affirmation of winning prizes at these competitions really catapulted us to get more concerts and to find a manager. And um, we got I, I would say that it takes a lot of luck too I think we were very lucky to be at a school that was very supportive helped us financially when we would lose money traveling to concerts and things like that they made it financially feasible for us um, is it possible that they also spotted talent e- yes I, I mean they were extremely supportive of us because we had also won these awards in other arenas as well um i think it gave them reason to invest some of their resources in us and um 
I think it was just consistently having one mile marker after another, uh, whether it was a competition or a performance, um, some publicity that really kept us going and um, continues to keep us going till this day in our um, packed with one another. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly nervous <laughs> when you use the word packed. <laughs> suggesting this is he heading towards somewhere that's, that's quite dark and possibly oh, okay. a little messy. <laughs> but maybe maybe that says more about me than is necessary. Under the full moon. Uh, yeah, yeah, we still indeed. have another half hour. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, uh, the, the thing I honed in on was uh, competitions. I've spoken to a lot of people who run competitions and who have appeared in them. Uh, I adore competitions because I find them very addictive, possibly because I'm quite judgmental. Um, <laughs> but but I wonder what your experience is as a, essentially as a team, you know, striving for the prize. What what is the experience of competitions for you, Estelle? It's it's such a different ball game when you're doing chamber music competitions. Um, I mean, for us, we definitely thrived on them. I mean, to have that goal and to just have your eye on the prize um, really centered us in terms of our our work ethic and has really just set the foundation for everything that we've done since. Do you mean in the in the in the the process of practice exactly and preparation, in the preparation or in the moment of pre performance? I, I mean, all of it in the preparation certainly, um, getting everything to a level where you feel like. Yeah, this is deserving of first prize. Oh, this is deserving of the grand prize. Um, if we don't say so ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have to yeah. have... Do you, do you want to be slightly more modest? I mean, <laughs> no. I, I, just a thought. Just I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, you have, to have, you have to have some confidence. And then yes. you go out on stage, you, you play, you perform, and then you say, well, whatever happens, happens. Um, you have to do your best, though. Um, and I think being able to go out on stage with three other people that you trust tremendously and who you respect um, in, incredible, in incredible amounts, uh, it brings something out of you that normally perhaps you wouldn't be able to find being an individual. Um, at least I found that in myself. Um, and being able to produce a product um, under extremely stressful conditions... Uh, has helped us uh, in our concertizing now, um, never treating any moment like it could be tossed away. Um, you have to treat it like that's the last the last time you'll play that piece. That's the last time you'll be able to play that passage. Um, and really just trying to do your utmost best um, to make also your colleagues and friends proud. I find that really interesting because um you know, I get when I think about my day-to-day -day work, I get quite stressed about my work. <laughs> but actually, hearing you say that you have to you have to treat each performance as though it's the last time that you ever ever perform it. I mean, that almost seems quite quite fatalistic and um, and quite liberating at the same time, which is slightly weird. Um, is that something that you've always had? Um, do you all share that experience? No. <laughs> well, we actually had a coach talk to us about that because uh, in the, the world of quartet playing, it's such an unknown and such a difficult career path. You actually, especially when a quartet is so young, you don't know whether the quartet is going to survive another year or like another <laughs> really? month. And that, well, it's really so financially difficult uh, to make a living doing it. And 
people's lives can go in different paths and our coach is talking to us about how you never know what's going to happen down the line and to treat each performance like it is your last and i think that kind of that did stick with us and creates and a, how, a powerful performance how did that change your individual performance individual performance i get um, how that that makes an impact for the, the teamwork but mm-hmm. what changes did you have to bring about to well, I mean, to get to play the the music that we do and to think actually just even just thinking this is the last time I get to play this, that type of mindset, because the music is so near and dear to our hearts or to my heart and to give it my best each and every time, I think was kind of life changing. And think, I mean, personally, I use my instrument as a vehicle for my voice. I don't think that I verbally express myself that eloquently and actually I find that I can say more with my instrument and I think treating each moment as very precious on stage um, makes me dig deeper down um, in terms of understanding and expressing exactly what I want to say with the music. Um, what do I, how do I want to shape this phrase? What does this phrase mean? What, is, what do these notes mean within the, the framework of the whole ensemble? Um, so just even thinking in such detail, um, I think helps so that you don't let anything slide. Like, no, these running notes, you know, it's just a bunch of D's in a row. No, they're not just a bunch of D's. What are they? What is it doing uh, in the group, and what is its role? That sounds exhausting. It is. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 not the way that you explain yeah. it. I'm aware that you said that you didn't think that you were very, uh, very eloquent. Newsflash: I think you are. <laughs> um, uh, but it does sound exhausting. Is it? It it can be, and I, I think all of this too relates to an attitude that I, I think we've always shared on stage, and that's important to us with this. Uh, sentiment that every performance could be the last um, in that with what we do we have the advantage and the luxury sometimes of playing the same pieces for many concerts this amazing music and we get to refine and kind of hone our craft on specific works Uh, the danger is that you can play something so many times that it can feel a little bit tiring or you have just played the music so many times that things that are supposed to be incredibly surprising in the music we're not surprised by anymore mm. so it's really important to always keep your mindset in what the composer intended and how beautiful this music is and how shocking and liberating and surprising and beautiful everything is and that can be tiring that should probably be tiring especially on stage and um and I'm, I'm very happy to be in a group with three other people that are always trying to keep that sentiment fresh and the performances alive and exciting and, and to never lose that, that spark with any of the music that we play in. And I think along those lines, programming is very important to us too, that we, we try to never program pieces in on our seasons that we think we might, for whatever reason, get a little bit tired of, for example. So, Yeah. In our first uh, season playing professional concerts after our warpath with competitions. <laughs> uh, I noticed that you, sorry, to you, you used the word packed, oath, and now warpath. Uh, there's a theme emerging here. Let's see where he goes with this. <laughs> well, we, when you prepare for competitions, it's a little bit different than preparing for a concert season in that 
uh, you want to achieve this extremely high level in both instances, but with a competition, you more or less want to have a very set interpretation, especially in a quartet, because um, spontaneity is not always rewarded <laughs> in a competition setting if something may not go exactly perfectly as planned as a result. Um, but in the con in the concert setting, you really have to have variety and flexibility in your interpretation in order to make the music after the as Jeremy alluded to maybe the 15th time you're playing a quartet in you know two months to still make it sound fresh to the audience and also for yourself that you don't feel like you're just going through muscle memory so there was a particular instance with a certain Beethoven quartet which we still have yet to play again uh, where we we had played it in many competitions and then we programmed it throughout the whole first season and because we had this competition mentality about it being a set way of playing it we quickly burned out on it it really just felt like the level of the playing was not staying the same and we were thinking like we we're trying to hammer it out even more in that exact direction that we had planned it out to be and that's when we realized hey wait this doesn't this is not sustainable, um, this, this kind of, the, of work. Was this one of the late quartets? It was a middle quartet. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, when, I say, when I say fine, I don't mean that's fine. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so yeah. ever since then, we've really, um, when we work, we try to find all the possible, we try to come with an open mind to the music, especially when we're reading it for the first time, and try to sort out all the different avenues in which a phrase can go. And... Ultimately, then in performance, we know each other well enough that a certain movement this way or a breath this way or a certain inflection in the dynamic indicates to us that, oh, actually, we're going down this path today. And that's exciting in the moment. And I think that the audience picks up on that. And I would say that's one of the things we work hardest for in our rehearsals now, as opposed to the early days when we were just doing preparing for competitions. I went to a cello competition recently in Armenia and I saw um, 14 cellists play the same Schubert Sonata oh, wow. one day. I got quite sick of that, mm. of that particular piece of music. But something that was really striking was that um, how different individuals brought different energies into the room before they sat down mm. to play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, when you have... Yeah, it's a bit like Dancing with the Stars. You know, you, you're, you're seeing the, essentially the same thing over and over again, and you do inevitably compare. Uh, and when somebody comes in with loads of energy, then it's, oh my God, what's going on there? What I noticed was that throughout the competition, that one person brought exactly the same energy to the performance of all the different works. And did they win? Uh, they did win. Yeah, yeah. and and it struck me that he would win, but. He seemed to be very vulnerable on stage. That was the, the word that really resonated for me and that clearly contributed to his performance. And that struck me as being unsustainable in the long run, that that sort of putting yourself out there when you play in that way in order to get that really taut performance um, is unsustainable. I don't know whether that's good. Do you have a few... Well, I think you if you think experience? about artists like Janine Janssen, she's definitely somebody who is always fresh in her interpretation. We were just talking about this with a friend of ours um, and how she has such a commanding energy every time. And I think some people are just born with this kind of overwhelming amount of energy that maybe not all of us have. And I think it does take that as a 
as a performer. Uh, we've seen with even the performers we know who travel around the world who are in their 60s, uh, they just have what you would say with other people that are compared to other people their age, just inhuman amounts of energy. And I think it comes from the inspiration they get from the music that they play. I think that that's what's so awesome about what we do is that the music is kind of like this endless well of inspiration that we can um, take from all the time. And it is what gives us the energy. Yeah, and one of the most memorable performances that I've ever seen was uh, the Takash Quartet going back to uh, my time at Aspen and they played Death and the Maiden and it takes the chamber music concerts sometimes take place in this chamber music hall which is underground and even just the act of the whole audience traveling down these stairs to go witness a concert is kind of an, an experience and it creates an energy in itself but just the atmosphere of the students because there are a lot of students at Aspen and then al along with the general public the whole room even before the quartet walked on stage had a, an electricity to it and then the performers coming out on stage and four people creating this like thunderstorm of energy to play this piece is something I'll never forget. And of course the music was the kind of the, the centerpiece of it all and the greatest, one of the greatest string quartets ever written, but just the energy in the room I'll never forget. And as a performer, I think that's what we, we thrive for, that, that energy and that rapport with the audience. Do you, when, when you witness that in other performances, do mm -hmm. you as a performer sort of quietly say to yourself, oh, I really want some of that? I mean, yeah, is I that, mean it's is, something is that I definitely, it definitely, a definitely an addictive quality to it. Yeah. Right. And how do you recover from that? When you've performed in that, in that kind of atmosphere, how do you, what strategies do you, I've been on a coaching retreat this week, that's why I've used the word strategy, uh, <laughs> but um, what strategies do you deploy in order to recover from that? Some people turn to drugs and drink, but I'm, I, I get the impression that you don't do that. Uh, I'll try not to do that too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, revealing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it is difficult to travel and have the kind of that same... I would say it's more, not necessarily the recovery, but the preparation for the next performance and kind of being able to get in that mindset and tell the story again for a different audience and like the preparations of the dress rehearsal and the time before the concert, having that kind of um, quiet time before the concert to really kind of get yourself, because essentially we're like actors on stage mm. telling, a, telling a story. So kind of getting your, yourself in the right mindset, I think is the most important part. Um, yeah, the, uh, it's really interesting that you use the word, the word vulnerable. Um, I I don't think we talk so much about that as musicians, what we do um, when we go out on stage, because we are totally, completely vulnerable. I mean, we spend all this time on our own trying to get these notes in the perfect place, in the right time, with the right people, um, and then we have to go out on stage and just bear it all. I mean, we might as well go be going out naked, um, we're that exposed. Um, and I would say, especially at the beginning of the... Are you describing playing in a quartet on stage? <laughs> wait. Being the equivalent of being naked. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait let saying? me backtrack. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're all looking really worried. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to say too much. <laughs> no, that you're going to for the couple weeks after <laughs> <now> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> um, Sorry, I've interrupted. No, 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 no. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, because... <laughs> 
No, but I mean, we're very artists. Of course, are incredibly sensitive people, um, and we have our whole bag of insecurities along with that. Um, and it is a roller coaster when we go out on stage. The just even hormonally, honestly, um, having to deal with like the rush of the adrenaline. Um, and at first, starting off uh, when we were starting to get our footing um, in the music scene, uh, that rush was really uh, dramatic. Um, you really felt the highs when you're on stage, and then the intense crash afterwards. Um, and just feeling completely out of it, like you have been completely spent and you have nothing else to say. Um, but having had the experience and years um, together, I think your body naturally starts to figure out the rhythm and starts to compensate for the, the dips, the highs and the lows. Um, so now I had a I had trouble, especially after concerts, speaking to people just because I felt like, oh, well, I can't yeah, find exactly my words. Exactly the point in time when the audience wants to go, oh my exactly. god, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm there going, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now it's different. I think you just, it just as an athlete, conditions himself, him or herself, to um, be able to physically do what they do. Your body also compensates for whatever you need to do to prepare for and to be able to produce what you need to do on stage in front of. Ten hundred thousand people. Do you have to avoid each other? I mean, do you actively avoid each other after? And I'm not. I'm. It's a serious question. Um, do you? Is there is there an element of you need to keep away from each other in between a rehearsal and a concert, or is it? Are you able to switch quite easily from? Okay, we're playing now. We're no longer playing. We'll just have a chat. I, I think for all of us it probably depends on the day. I, 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 we do have the luxury of getting, o getting along very well with each other, and we were all friends before we started as a quartet. Um, but, you know, some days, at least speaking for myself, I might be just exhausted after a concert, or maybe we've been on the road for three weeks together, and I just feel like I need a little bit of personal time and space. This is in no way a reflection on my colleagues. It's just... Or, you know, maybe I've <laughs> been alone practicing all day and I want to hang out with people and we are all good friends and might grab a drink or a late night meal after a concert. It, it just really depends on the day and um, the situation of what we've been up to in recent days or weeks, I think. I think um, one of the special things about us as a group is that we're able to delineate or let things go, I would say, um, we don't hold on to grudges or um, arguments, uh, especially when they're you know music related. Uh, we're able to just say, you know, 15 minutes later, okay, I know that happened. Whatever, let's laugh about it. What sort of musical arguments would you have? Um, I think when we have different opinions about how uh, about an interpretation, about a general feeling about something. Um, so a heated discussion, as opposed to I mean, I, you know, I hear the word argument and think that it's you know. It's crisis time. Oh, no, 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 no. I would, okay. yeah. A heated discussion is, okay, is probably right. better. Yeah, Let's more reframe it in a very British way. <laughs> <laughs> I think we also rarely hit an impasse where we just can't understand the other person's point of view because we have such similar training and we all went to the same school, which espoused the same philosophies and doctrines to us about what is to be valued in our playing and what work ethic looks like and um, I think that we share these common core values so uh, I, th 
think that we get along better than the general quartet. Does that suggest then this may be a ridiculous sweeping sta- statement? But you're not. The, you're the second person who sort of touched on the idea that if people work together when they're training together mm-hmm. and when they develop when they're training yeah. together, then actually they will form such a tight bond that they're actually quite re- as a as a team they're quite robust. I wonder whether that then makes it more difficult for a new quartet of older people to get together. I don't know. Perhaps. I I just think about all of the emotional milestones for us as a quartet, which may have coincided with success or failure. And to think, like, if there was ever, like, another person uh, who didn't experience those things that played with us, you know, it would just be kind of they might not understand references to a certain lesson that we may have learned that we talk about in shorthand now. Um, there's a lot, I think most of our rehearsals are probably done in shorthand. If somebody watched, they might not understand anything we're saying. Uh, like we might say, this is like a bell and they'd be like, wait, you want me to get a bell? Like what? Uh, but to us, that means that you release from the beginning of the note and make a sound like a bell boom. Um, oh, so you speak in metaphors in rehearsals. Yeah, and that's because a, a coach talked to us, like a very influential coach talked to us like that quite a lot. And so we may just be quoting our teachers all the time. And um, we've experienced um, very difficult coachings together where we learned very hard lessons. And I think that all brought us much closer together and also our musical vision closer together. Um, I'm I'm aware that the reason that we're meeting is because you have an album out. I don't know whether we call them an album anymore. You've got some stuff out on Spotify. <laughs> uh, uh, and you recorded... Because I don't know what we call them. Is that what you call them? What do you call them? It's yours. I think album is still a good Acceptable. term. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to sound like an old man. No. Um, <laughs> that would be your cue to say, but you're so young. <laughs> But you're so young. Thanks. But you're so young. (laughs) (laughs) You're really good. Um, uh, When did you record it? Because I'm I'm reminded that people record uh, start talking about the album that they've recorded when they've recorded it months ago. Is that? Yeah, we we actually recorded at the very end of last year. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And what what prompted you to bring those works together? So so this album is is centered around the idea of. Uh, conflict, really, um, and it stemmed from our our view of the world today that there is a lot of conflict uh, globally, conflict in the way we talk to one another, conflict in the news, conflicts of opinion, um, and we we took the work of four incredible composers that were uh, writing during periods of time of personal conflict or conflict going on in the world around them. So, for example, uh, Prokofiev's second quartet he wrote amidst uh, World War II when he had been evacuated out of his home city and wrote actually kind of a bizarrely triumphant and proud folksy piece, maybe to to lift up the people around him during all of the horrors and atrocities going on. Um, And pairing that with uh, Mendelssohn's sixth quartet, which he wrote in the wake of his sister's death, and they were, uh, by all accounts, inseparable uh, friends and family and loved each other dearly. And Mendelssohn's music, which is always poised and refined and elegant and exciting, just all of that gets thrown to the wind, and we just hear this 
this piece that has both pure rage but also some of the most poignant reflective beauty in the slow movement in the third movement that uh, I think maybe he ever wrote uh, uh, Osvaldo Golihoff uh, his quartet Tenebrae he wrote um, after having returned from uh, Israel and witnessing a new wave of violence over there and writing that um, also along with the idea that he had just visited the New York City planetarium with his young son and had this experience of seeing the earth as a tiny blue speck in space from far away and, and pairing these two ideas with one another in the piece. Uh, um, so, so we have all of these different concepts of, of conflict and how, um, how resilient these composers were of, of dealing with the conflict and how they were able to come out of it by producing really some of the greatest art that, that we've seen, um, not only just in music, but uh, how, how this resilience shown through amidst whatever personal or outside horrors that were going on. Did you, have you arrived at any conclusion about conflict or any, any personal insights as a result of recording it? Well, I, I think during really difficult times it's we're, we're blessed to have art, we're blessed to have music to, to bring people together, to have moments of beauty to take us away from what we're dealing with in the world, and also things that really kind of show the cold hard truth of the situation that we can dive into and really hear uh, an, an honest take. Uh, Estelle was talking before about how, how, how she says she can express her voice better perhaps through music or through the cello. I think, I think listening to music also can be a great outpouring of emotions for us personally as an audience and that it's, it's really important that we have that and that we turn to it uh, when times are tough. How do you, this is one for anyone, but how do you respond to it when you listen to the album as a whole, given, that, given the premise that you've just explained, how do, you, how do you respond to it now that it's complete and almost out there? Well, <clears throat> Do you see what I'm... Do you understand what yes, I'm asking? Yes, I do. I do yeah, um, I think... I don't know about you guys, but I haven't actually sat down... I have a thing about the recordings that I've been a part of. I can't really sit down and listen to the whole CD um, in one. It's a little... I'm a little too analytical, and I think the emotional impact of it is kind of lost on me just analyzing everything that I'm listening to um, but I, I can speak so about you're not you're you're not as engaged you're engaged in an entirely different I'm way engaged intellectually more than emotionally when I listen to myself right it's almost impossible for me to um, but when I, I can speak about playing the music that the emotions that are required to be conveyed serve as a catharsis kind of for us in a way and I think the whole impetus for the album came in the wake of the 2016 presidential election and, and seeing all the unrest and turmoil in our country that maybe we didn't, it was a problem. It was always there, I guess, but it was never brought to the forefront in the way that that election um, brought it present in all of our minds. And I felt like I was living through something I read about in history books, like Mm. turbulent times that were in the past that, you know, we got through and now we're in a better world today and we're heading towards progress. And um, when we played for our audiences after that um, election, there was just this kind of dullness in the room. We were talking about earlier about the electricity that you have in the room, but 
this was a completely new experience for us and we felt emotionally drained as well just um, you know political differences aside just everybody I think was overwhelmed by the, the tremendous conflict and fissure in our society and uh, playing the music through the through our concerts seemed to not only lift our spirits up but also um, that of the audience and so many people came afterwards and said you know like I usually go to a concert to enjoy it but this meant something completely different to me it was just beyond just enjoyment it was something that was necessary for my I mean maybe it's too far to say like my existence but for my happiness you know at this moment in time and I think also what we do playing chamber music kind of embodies um, what we need more of in our society today where a group of people who I mean we come from different ethnic backgrounds and we were all you know raised differently yes we have a lot of similarities as well but we come together and we may have disagreements in our efforts to work together as a team but ultimately it's this goal of realizing something higher than ourselves that keeps us working together and I think instead of banding together to be against some other group of people we need to work towards causes that benefit the rest of humanity and and maybe if we can't put aside you know if it's too difficult to put aside cultural differences then maybe this end goal of achieving something higher will allow us to just forget about them for the sake of working together. When did you plan to come to London? When exactly did you plan the dates that you came to? You know, how is it that you... Oh, oh, uh, it's not It's not planned that we... <laughs> I mean, that we I was be, just that we're struck by the, the timing yeah. of it. Because, I know, it's because really, you were here for one of the biggest protests I've ever seen in I London. I know, and I happened to walk through it yesterday, and it did was you, really did, overwhelming. Did yeah. you do that by accident? By, by accident, by actually, yes. I was at a violin <laughs> shop just over here. And really? <laughs> you, you were over here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I and I was trying to get to the Oxford Street station, and really? it was all blocked off. And <laughs> I saw all these people. Did you not look at the television? No, I don't you watch your... the news. Oh, well, there's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you found it overwhelming. Oh yeah, and I just it, like reels of like 1960s footage in the U.S. just kind of like rolled through my yeah. head. Well, I'm I'm living through one of those moments yes. in time where. Um, there's something at stake um, for the sake of the well-being of our human civilization, really. Uh, I mean, the fact that it's having such a massive impact, not only in our country, but all over the world. Did you, did you draw support from seeing that, any of you? Did you? So, so I, was, I was sensitive about asking you about that, yeah. because I thought, well, it would, be, it would be such an easy question and probably quite a boring question for an American to answer about Trump. Mm -hmm. So I didn't ask you that because okay. I thought, well, that, that's just so cheap and so easy. Yeah. Uh, and yet actually given the premise for the, uh, the album that you've just explained, actually that then makes me wonder how you respond to seeing so many people on the streets of London basically protesting about the same thing that has prompted you to produce the album. Do you see what I mean? Well, I, I think the impetus for the album stemmed from this exactly, from seeing these protests, from seeing how how there's a, a collision of ideas going on and an unrest. I I think rather than maybe you know targeting specific political things, it's more about 
the fallout and the ramifications of what we've been seeing, the type of, of dialogue that we've been hearing, um, and and focusing on on how how can we come back together from this. I, I think that's really the message as artists that's important to us and that we want to to really put back into the spotlight because everything recently there's there's been so much dialogue so much in the news about about just us tearing each other apart and it's getting it's getting tiring so now it's anything we can do to to create and build and unify and bring together um you know We'll give it all we've got. I feel reassured hearing that. Thanks to the Calador String Quartet for being so very game and so very honest. Please rate, like and share the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. You'll find it on Spotify, iTunes or, or Audio Boom, assuming you haven't found it there already. Tweet me at Thoroughly Good on Twitter or email me john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me with any thoughts or suggestions. It's always nice to hear from people. Thanks very much for listening.